For our scripture reading, we'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll begin reading at verse 1 through verse 22. Hear now the word of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who ate of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? This far, our reading of the Lord's Word, dear congregation, our focus this morning will be on verses 16 
and particularly of chapter 10, of 1 Corinthians 10. And Paul says to us in verse 14, Dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Why is he saying that? Well, he's referring to what he said earlier in this chapter where he shows how the Israelites were all under that one covenant, so that one covenant nation. They all partook of the same blessings. They all followed the same God through the wilderness. But he says some of them fell away into sin. Some were destroyed for their sin. And here in 1 Corinthians, Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. Here, there were believers who thought they were strong enough in the faith that they, could, that they would not fall into the temptations that surrounded them in these pagan feasts that some of them were going to. But he warns them and he says, flee from these environments of sin. And in verse 11, he says, everything that happened here that he just explained in this chapter, the things that happened to Israel were, were, are shown as examples to us examples so that we would flee from sin and not fall into sin. And in verse 12 he says, Therefore let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. And so he's addressing Christians here in Corinth who, who think they could go anywhere, that they think they could do anything, and here specifically referring to attending pagan feasts in, in the temples of idols. But similarly, the Israelites thought that they were God's people, that they would never fall away from God. But this example shows that many of them had a false sense of security. Their faith was not in God alone, but only in the externals of the religion that they followed. And it's interesting that in this context here, Paul now brings in these verses about the Lord's Supper. We need the Lord's Supper. It's prepared by God for His people to have real communion with Him. He uses it to to strengthen the faith of His people through the work of His Holy Spirit by the means of these signs that He gives. But Paul here, he holds that in contrast to these Corinthians' presence, these Christians' presence at the feasts of the pagan temples. And he says that's an affront to God because just being present there, partaking in those feasts, is, is a real participation with the religion that, and the spirits that are behind those idols. And so that's why he warns him. He says, dearly beloved, f- dear friends, is what he's saying, flee from idolatry because you cannot participate in both. And so he explains that in verse 20 and 21. In the second half of 20, he says, I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. And that's also why we are called to examine ourselves in the week of preparation before the Lord's table to see if that our single focus is in Christ, in God through Christ and nothing else. To examine if our faith is in Christ alone 
That our lives are not mixed with sin. That they're not tainted with the sins of this world. That we're not trying to live a double life or a double standard. That, that we do not have a false foundation for our faith. And so we're to come to church. We're come to come to the sacraments relying on God alone. Unreserved, unmixed, not careless, but focused in heart and in life. And one example that I read in Genesis 35 of Jacob. God came to Jacob and reminded him to come and worship him in Bethel. When Jacob had to flee from Esau, if you remember the story, Esau wanted to kill him, so Jacob had to flee. And, and Jacob and the Lord met Jacob on the way. And Jacob promised, he vowed to God, and he said, if you will bring me back safely, I will worship thee for the rest of my life. I will serve thee. And here Jacob is meandering his way back home now after being gone for 20 years, and God reminds him of this vow. And he says, return to Bethel now and worship me. Remember the vow you made. Now what does Jacob do? Jacob prepares himself and his family. And in Genesis 35 He says to his family, now put away all your idols, purify yourself, change your clothes, and prepare to worship God. And then they travel to Bethel, then they set up the altar, then they worship God. This morning again, we have that renewed call in our lives to put away everything in our lives that is contrary to God and to Scripture. To draw near to Lord's table, where through these simple elements, God enables you to have communion with God. And so our theme this morning is the bread of communion. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, it says, The cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. And so he's reminding us here of the Lord's Supper, where God is our host, and his people are his guests. And Paul here, he asks these two rhetorical questions that, that assume the, the answer is yes. He says, is it not the communion? And so he says, when you eat and you drink of this bread and wine, you have real communion with Christ. Now, how is that? Well, we see here these, these two main elements that are served. There's, there's bread and there's wine. And what, is, what, what are they used for? Well, bread and wine are the common forms of food and drink, especially in that culture. They were the, the main forms of, of food and drink for the sustenance, for the nourishing of our body. There's nothing special about these elements. They're ordinary bread, ordinary wine. Nothing special happens to them. They do not turn into the body of Christ. They do not, some, Christ is not somehow attached to them, but they're They're simply symbols. They're signs. They are seals. And Paul is comparing this loaf of bread 
with the body of Christ, the wine with the blood of Christ. They are, they, they are the symbols that communicate something to us about Christ. And so the bread not only communicates something to us, but as we, as we participate of that symbol together, as verse 17 says, you're, when you're, by partaking, there is that communion with Christ who is represented in these symbols. So the Lord's Supper here, we commemorate the death of Jesus Christ. Where he records that in the same night that he died, he at the Passover Supper in the upper room, he took that bread and he broke that bread and he gave some to each of his disciples. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. He instituted the Lord's Supper there, not only to remind us what he's accomplished on the cross with his own death, with his own suffering, but also as a means now to participate more fully in Christ and in the blessings that he bestows on us through his Holy Spirit. And so he says, the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So what does that mean? The word communion can also be translated to say participation in the body of Christ. Or in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, it's translated as fellowship. You were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's believers, they they participate in, in a vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. The cup here shows there's participation in the blood of Christ, a bread of participation in the body of Christ. And by that participation, believers can receive favor from God in, his, in the spiritual blessings that he gives. And Paul is saying this here, as we mentioned earlier, in the context of warning these believers of idolatry and of their participating in, in the sinful practices that were held there. The person who eats the bread that is sacrificed to idol in these heathen temples is, is responsible for the whole idolatry that is represented there. They're associating themselves with those idols, with those practices, and with the demons. And when you or I participate in ungodly practices or feasts, you're not just participating in, a, in an external way, but you're, you're participating with what is represented at those feasts. You cannot just participate in sinful practices. It's idolatry, he says. It goes deeper than just the external. God says to us we cannot serve both God and mammon. Like the Israelites who participated in the... In the in sin, different sins there in the wilderness, they were also destroyed as a consequence. It, it reveals that where their heart really was. Their heart can't be in both places at the same time. And they were destroyed because it revealed where they were. And Paul says at the Lord's Supper, when you participate, there is that communion with the living God. And to have that communion with the living God, we're also required to flee from all idolatry. And so these elements that the Lord gives, these simple elements of bread and wine, 
God uses them as means to draw us into the knowledge of himself, into that communion with Christ. And so, when we, when we see these signs, what does it show us? Well, we see first that it points us to the cross, where it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ who was crucified. That there is a communion with the body of Christ. There's a partnership with His body. But those elements, we are to be reminded then of the sinfulness of our sin. We know how easily we can be influenced by this world. How quickly the Israelites were drawn away by the things that they saw. How quickly we can be drawn away during the week by this world. And we mingle with the world as if it doesn't really matter. But here, Christ shows us how he had to suffer. How he had to die because of sin. Sin caused the crucifixion and death of the Son of God. It teaches us to see our sin for what it really is. That that this Lord's Supper is then also instituted to stir up that renewed repentance for our sin. That when we see what sin brought on the Lord Jesus Christ, it should produce that that sorrow, that shame for our sin. That our sin contributed to the suffering and pain of the Lord of glory. That even though his bones were not broken, as it says in his word, yet his body was broken where he was pierced, where he was wounded. And Isaiah says, wounded for our transgression. The breaking of bread shows and reminds how his body was broken. Isaiah says that the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Where he was wounded for our transgressions. Where he was bruised for our iniquities. And when we see that wine that is poured out, we're pointed to Calvary. Where his blood was shed. Where his blood was poured out on the cross. That shedding of blood representing the death of the Lord Jesus Christ because of sin. It shows us that God could not leave sin unpunished. And that rather than leave it unpunished, he punished it in his own son, Jesus Christ. The Israelites, many of them died in the wilderness when they drifted off into those sins. But here God has chosen to punish sin in His only begotten Son so that we need not perish as those Israelites did. And it should cause a fresh pain and a fresh sorrow for our sin. Cause us to flee from all idolatry, to flee from all sin. When we see that wine poured out and the bread broken, But then also, secondly, the Lord's Supper is especially intended to stir up our faith in Christ. Our sorrow and our conviction must lead us to take hold of Christ who who died for sin. That as we eat and drink of these elements, we are to think of Christ and how how we need to feed on Him spiritually just as we receive these elements physically. 
how we need him for the strengthening of our faith just as our body needs food and wine for the strengthening of our body. And as we participate in this sacrament, we commune with God through them as we consider Christ that we see in them. Partaking of the signs represents how we, how we must receive Christ by faith. That as we receive these symbols, so we receive Christ spiritually by faith. It, it's a representation of what happens by faith. When initially in your life you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you, you, you continually through Christ need to come to Him to receive Him by faith. So we are reminded of that here at the sacrament. And it shows that as this bread and wine nourish and strengthen our bodies, this crucified body and, and the shed blood of Christ are said to be the true food and drink for our souls to nourish us for eternal life. Not only are we to flee from all idolatry, but continue to flee to Christ. And this is a place where we are reminded and strengthened in doing so. But then thirdly, and the Catechism summarizes this nicely in, in question 79 as well, on page 60, in the, your Psalter, it summarizes what it says that God, especially by these signs, pledges to assure us that we are as really partakers of His true body and blood by the operation of His Holy Spirit as we receive by our mouth the holy signs in remembrance of Him and that all His sufferings and obedience are as certainly ours as if we had in our own person suffered and made satisfaction for our sins to God. God spreads this table here before you to assure you that Christ is yours by faith. That everything that Christ has merited in His death and life and resurrection is imputed to you by faith. Is it not a communion of the body and blood of Christ? This is Christ who suffered, who died, and who was bruised for our sin. God is saying that as you, as you partake of this bread and wine, do not just take it as empty symbols, but take it as, as Christ your Savior who died and rose for you. We are to see Him as we consider these signs. And this is where we receive the strengthening of our faith, that, that nourishment of our soul. Here you are assured of that pardon that comes through the blood of Christ. Here you are assured of that righteousness that He has merited for His people through His broken body. Christ has there fully accomplished His work of salvation. God here is fully satisfied in Christ. And here He assures that that salvation is freely bestowed on all those who are in Christ by faith. Do you need that assurance of that pardon? Do you long for that sense of that reconciliation with God through Christ? This is the means that God gives to strengthen that in your life. And He says then, take it and eat it and believe 
Here's the nature of faith. Here to rest in Christ alone through these means. To renounce the world. And to cling to Christ here alone. And then fourthly, here we see that the sacrament is instituted for the strengthening of your faith. And it's a means by which we can receive more and more of Christ. Just like God ordained preaching to save sinners. That preaching has been given by God, even as it says that by the foolishness of preaching, it's given to save those who believe. The preaching is set apart as that special means that God gives Similarly, the Sabbath day itself is today. It's a day set aside specifically for the blessing of God's people. And now here also the sacrament is instituted, set aside for this specific use to strengthen the faith of His people. It's the bread and the wine given to enable you to enjoy communion with Christ. Is it not a communion of the body of Christ? A time in a special way to draw nearer to Christ, to near to Christ in, in a way that goes beyond what you do even at home because here God comes in, his, in a specific way to, to, with His signs even to seal, which we do not get into here, but to seal this to your, to your heart. It's a time to be reminded with all your senses of your body your, your touch, your, your taste, what, of what Christ has done for your, for your soul in every way. And so God feeds and nourishes your, your, your hungry soul. We know that daily we are so surrounded by temptations and snares in this world. We, we are prone to stumble like the Israelites were. And we need to hear His voice. We need to he, feel His presence. We, we long to be more united to, to Christ through, the, through our life. And so here He calls us again to flee that idolatry and to come unreserved to feed on Christ alone. And as we do so, we receive that bread and wine. And your faith is then directed to see again that perfect sacrifice of Christ. It's the communion of the body and the blood of Christ. Where by faith you identify with Christ crucified. With all His fullness. As God comes to you in His promises. It symbolizes how Christ has died for those who believe on Him. How He took your place. That He took away that cause of eternal death. Which is your sin and your misery. His blood shed in your place. And that means then that your sin debt is paid in full. And by so doing, Christ also purchased and obtained that life-giving Spirit which He poured out on Pentecost and which He gives to each one of His people. That Spirit that dwells in Christ and that Spirit that dwells in us. And that is especially how we have communion with Christ, through His Spirit, as we share into one Spirit in the body of Christ. And this means that He has imputed His righteousness to you, so that His satisfaction that He obtained before God becomes your satisfaction. 
where God sees you in Christ and reckons you one with Christ. That His righteousness becomes your righteousness. That He sees you in Christ as, as perfect and pure and holy. His pardon and His righteousness are yours. And He spreads this feast to you, before you to commune with you, to, to, com, to communicate that grace to you and that love where He sees you as if you never had any sin nor committed any sin, but sees you in Christ alone. This is what this feast is intended to do. And then Paul says, the bread which we break, is it not a communion of the body of Christ? Can we then come and participate in broken body and shed blood of Christ to receive again of the Lord that strengthening of our faith as we remember what He has done for us. Amen.